Hey gang, this is Josiah. I hope you enjoy the story that's coming up here. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Nothing Happens in Valleygate. Uh, before we get started, I just want to give a little trigger warning. There are people dealing with grief, uh, and in one particular instance, uh, somebody ignores some rules surrounding uh, safe ocean behavior and practices and chooses to swim at night. Uh, and also during uh, rough conditions. So a couple things. If you're dealing with grief, make sure you're talking to somebody, a friend, a parent, a counselor, uh, whoever you need to talk to. Make sure that you're working through that and if you have uh, are having difficult a time with that, make sure that you're you're having a conversation and speaking with somebody who can help you. Secondly, always observe uh, recommended safety practices surrounding swimming, uh, as well as uh, not going swimming in the ocean at night, especially during rough conditions. Please do not do any of these things. Uh, Yeah, that's all I have to say. So I hope you enjoy the episode and stay safe. Enjoy. Nothing happens in Valleygate. The small town nestled into the North Caridian Mountains and hidden in the hearthwood. It, it stormed this weekend. It was a Thistrian storm, which means days of heavy rain, light thunder, but utterly devoid of visible lightning strikes. Thistra herself is headed south this time of year, and one of her young must have gotten lost and strayed west toward Valleygate. The storm... Coupled with earlier and earlier sunsets as summer comes to a close meant dark evenings spent inside with the pitter-patter of rain overhead. Many of the shops on Main Street aren't open on the weekends any longer with the tourism season wrapping up, but a few weeks back, which is just as well, the rain is the very reason August does not see many visitors. But there were a few havens from the rain. The warmly lit interior of the Shepherd's Nook Cafe spilled light onto the sidewalk, illuminating the rain as it did, and beckoning passers-by in with the promise of warmth, a warm drink, and the chance to dry off. It was busy there on Saturday, not crowded, but busy, and the owner, Kinder Whitetail, a fawn in her late 20s, was thankful she had invested in a larger space to accommodate a larger number of people without it feeling overwhelming. She didn't rush, however. She took her time chatting with every guest for a moment and making sure they had everything they needed. People weren't trying to get in and out. That's not the speed of Valley Gate citizens by any means. They're a There are lingering people, some tourist from Lettuce Field of all places angrily suggested once and left a review on the Arcanet that said, This place should have a quick pickup line. I've never waited so long in my life for coffee. I'd give it zero stars if I could. This review bothered Kinder for a few minutes. She almost called Marin Gloomdawn over at Valleygate Sign Company to design her a rapid pickup sign, but then... Then she read the many five-star reviews following, and before that one, and felt a little better about things, and knew that the Shepherd's Nook was not a place for people in a hurry. Valleygate herself was not a place for people in a hurry. However, Patrick, one of Kinder's employees, showed up for his shift six minutes early and began moving quickly to make sure everyone was served. He was much faster at making drinks than she was. He seemed to know intuitively how much coffee, how much milk, and so on. He had worked at a larger chain cafe in Lettuce Field for a while, and when he moved to Valleygate, he fell in love with the Shepherd's Nook. Patrick's arrival let Kinder step back for a few moments and enjoy the view of people in the community sharing drinks, laughing, and listening to the music. A live band had been booked 
for this evening, an indie band. They were fairly low-key. They didn't overstay their sonic welcome, as it were. They weren't competing with the chatter and clinking of forks as folks ate the pastries from Luciana's Bakery. Give me a bake. They were content to be the soundtrack of the cafe. Kinder closed her eyes and took in the moment, though she was happy to see the cafe living up to its true potential. She felt lonely, wishing she had someone to sit at a coffee shop with. The pain and sadness of this particular day began to impinge on her, and she wanted to vent to someone. Her best friend Castle was not in town and wouldn't be for a while. She couldn't call her mom because, well, selfishly, she didn't want to handle her mother's emotions during this time of year, and for a moment, Kipper flashed into her mind. She still had his phone number, but she stamped that memory out quickly. She just wanted someone to hold her this evening, but it wasn't going to happen. As Kinder scanned the clientele, she saw a familiar face, Harper Dapplement. She was sat at the corner booth. Kinder had coached Harper all four years of high school on the volleyball team and had gotten to know her well. Harper was weeping, quietly weeping, with a friend of hers whose name Kinder thought was Macy or Marcy. Only one thing in all the years of knowing Harper made her cry that way, and Kinder wrote a note on a cup, had Patrick make Harper's drink in it, and sent it over to the table. Only a few moments passed before Harper walked up to the bar. Kinder stepped around the counter and embraced Harper. What happened? she asked. Harper just clung to her and wept into her sweater. Kinder looked to Patrick, who smiled and waved her off, signaling that he'd be all right on his own for a minute. Thank you for the coffee, Harper said through sobs. They sat down at one of the high tops by the window. It's no problem, Kinder said. It's no problem. What happened, she repeated. Harper went on to tell her story about how the last few weeks her boyfriend Peyton had felt distant, like he wasn't engaged in the relationship. Their phone calls grew shorter and her texts went unanswered for longer and longer. All of this followed an argument they had had on the phone a few weeks ago. Peyton wanted Harper to come visit him in his parents' house three hours away in Elk Reach, and Harper would have loved to go, but she couldn't. She had volleyball practices every day, conditioning to get ready for the season. Ask for some time off, Peyton had said. That's not how it works. If I miss practices, I could be on the bench for the first half of the season, she had said. The phone call ended amicably, but Harper knew something was wrong, and when she tried to text him about it or call, he was always busy. Well, last night around 11.30, Harper's phone rang as she was asleep in her dorm. It was Peyton. She could hear the rain slamming his windshield. He'd been thinking, she knew, because he always went for a drive when he wanted to think, and she knew exactly where he was, parked outside on his parents' driveway, sitting in the driver's seat, not wanting them to hear what he was about to say. She was happy to hear his voice, even though she knew something lay underneath it. Hey, Harper, he had said. Hey, she said through a sleep-laden fog. What's up, babe? Are you okay? He paused for a few moments and finally said, Yeah, I'm okay. I just... I feel like maybe this semester we should take a break. Harper practically heard her heart ripping in that moment, but rather than scream or yell or cry, she fell back on her training from Summers working at Titan Cones Ice Cream and said, Okay, is there anything else? This caught Peyton off guard. Uh, 
No, he said. Are you okay, Harper? I'm fine. Good night. I love you. And she put her phone down and went to sleep. The next morning, she woke with an immense dread resting on her chest. She realized that today was her first day of singlehood for over five years, but she got up, went on a three-mile run, and then called her mother to chat, all the while ignoring the text from Peyton that said, You love me? She had never said that before. Kinder felt for this young woman. She didn't know what to say. When you are with someone for that long during such formative years, a breakup scorches your heart. Suddenly, all the moments you thought you'd share together, moments you'd thought about so much that they have practically become memories. These memories, they are gone, and Harper sat there, imagining Peyton fading from photos she hadn't yet taken, like at their college graduation, at her parents' 30th anniversary this October, at her brother's wedding next summer, these memories, these photographs of things to come, Peyton vanished from them, and they were lost. And all the memories and photos she had taken, the photos from homecomings, proms, dates, here and there, day trips, camping trips, all of it began to feel like a trick, like she'd been fooled, she felt like she fell for a scam that the world had played on her. Kinder had gotten to know Peyton as well. He and Harper used to come into the cafe and study or play one of the beat-up board games at the back of the bar. They'd play dig or cards, and last year Peyton got on a chess kick, and Kinder watched as Harper patiently learned the game of chess, purely out of love for her boyfriend. Kinder leaned into Harper and comforted her quietly, reminding her that there were other deer in the woods and that she could find someone who cares about her and to make those new memories with. This advice she gave, she believed it for Harper, but didn't believe it for herself when her mom had said the same thing. She didn't believe it even now. She felt destined for singlehood, and she had come to appreciate it, but seeing this heartbroken young woman before her ignited a certain memory and urge to reach out to Kipper, her college boyfriend, to feel that sting of that wonderful time in her life. It's an odd thing to yearn for the pain of a broken heart. Kipper had lived with his grandmother just outside of town, a polite, ursine boy that her parents loved. When she had brought him home for the first time, he complimented the flowers her father had arranged and the, and the planter boxes her mother built gardening. Her parents loved gardening and cultivating in their little woodland cabin. She remembered the smell of her favorite cookies that his grandmother would make whenever she came over and when she tried to replicate the recipe for the cafe. They never quite turned out the same. The holidays and proms and homecomings and all the memories she had already made that seemed real but never actually happened. She felt for Harper, for Kinder too, had seemed to plan an entire life with Kipper, the boy she thought she loved. But she, she was happy now. It was a cathartic yet painful nostalgia to remember Kipper, but the cafe and her volleyball girls and her best friend Castle, she loved what she had now, and she hoped Harper could one day find the same. Kinder and Harper spoke for a few more minutes before Kinder stood up and returned to the counter. She must have looked wistful because Patrick asked her, Hey, how are you holding up? This made Kinder begin to weep. He remembered he remembered, and, and Kinder sunk beneath the counter, leaning against one of the cabinets, not wanting anyone to see. Hey, Patrick said, why don't you take off? I can handle things from here. It's cleared out a bit. 
Kinder knew it hadn't cleared out, but she thanked him, put on her jacket, and left in a hurry, wiping tears from her eyes. She didn't want to go up to her apartment above the cafe, so she began driving and put on the playlist she saves for this one day every year. As windshield wipers flicked rain from her view, she wished she had windshield wipers for her eyes as well. They brimmed with tears, and she drove for a while. It was getting late, it was near 11, but she kept driving, and after about an hour and a half on the road, driving through winding forest roads and tunnels down the mountain, the rain gave way to wind. She parked her car in the closed parking lot and stepped outside into the sea air. The wind whipped at her. It was dark. She could barely see the beach before her, but she heard the ocean. It was strong this evening. Mighty waves crashed against the sand. They scared her, but she opened her trunk and retrieved her bathing suit, which she keeps for such a time as this. She changed there in the parking lot. No one would see her, she knew, and she stepped carefully toward the water. It was very cold, the water, but she didn't care. She went ankle-deep, then knee-deep, until it was up to her chest, her arms and legs, screaming from the frigid water. And with a large breath, she closed her eyes and dunked herself into the dark ocean. The world muted itself, and she felt the rip current pulling her further under. The waves tossed her body. She spun and twisted. And amidst the fear and anxiety, she felt a comfort, a warm feeling. This, this was the only place she could let go. Always in control, but flirting with danger. She came up for air and found herself a few dozen feet down the coast from where her clothing rested, so she got out of the water, changed back into her clothes, and drove to a familiar beach house nearby. The door was unlocked. He must have seen she was there, and she crept to the guest room, saying hi to Ragnarok, the golden retriever who slept on the couch, and she climbed into the warm bed. She awoke a few hours later at around 4.30. She stood from the bed and went out to the living room to leave, but there was a light on and a note on the end table beneath it. She read it. Kinder, I'm sorry I didn't catch you this morning. I had to catch a 4 a.m. flight to Barrel Wake out of Timber Falls, so I left pretty early. My sister isn't doing well. Prayers are appreciated. There's coffee on in the kitchen if you want any. I hope you had a decent sleep. I loved your father like a brother. I think of him often and made sure to make a donation in his honor to the lighthouse. Don't hesitate to reach out, kiddo. Your mom would love to hear from you. She's talked my ear off all week. Love, Ernie. P.S. If you don't mind, could you feed Ragnarok for me? I left in a hurry. Carson will be over to take him to his house this afternoon. Kinder read the note a second and third time, then pocketed it. She fed Ragnarok, then brought him to her car and all of his things he needed. Surely her landlord won't mind if she takes care of him for a few days. She drove home in the morning rain as it reached the coast, calling Carson to tell him that she'd be taking the dog. Like I said, nothing happens in Valleygate. This episode of Nothing Happens in Valleygate was written, recorded, edited, and sound designed by Josiah Duff. I'm pretty much the only one involved with this. However, the music you are hearing right now is by my good friend Andy Ferris. Thanks, Andy, so much. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast if you want to continue getting updates, new episodes, uh, new stories about new characters. 
Also, go ahead and find us on Apple iTunes and give us some ratings. That that helps us a lot in sort of moving up the ranks. I know it's early on, but you kind of want to get this in sooner, sooner than later. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you in the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>